This is a story about Jesus. Now, Jesus was one with God like this. And God sent him down to the world, and he told him to bring light into the world because the world was pretty dark. And so Jesus came down like this with light. And he was sent to a place called Israel, a country called Israel. And he was to teach the people that the light of God was within them, within each one of them. And he used to say, the kingdom of heaven is within you, to each one of them. And another thing he used to say is he said that to find the kingdom of heaven, you have to be like a child. So you all have a big head start. (laughs) You have to have the heart of a child. So this is the story about the last days of Jesus. He had some disciples. This is a picture of Jesus on the top. And he had a small group of disciples that really believed what he taught. And they really practiced it. And they really felt that light in their heart. Very small group. But he was going to go to Jerusalem one last time, which was a big city in Israel. So he goes on a donkey. He goes riding towards Jerusalem on this donkey. And as he gets closer with all his disciples... The people pour out of the city gates. They all come out to greet him. They're very happy. Jesus is here. And they start taking palm fronds, which are big leaves, and they put them on the path in front of him so his donkey can walk on this nice, soft path. It's kind of like showering him with rose petals. They were very, very happy to see him. And so he gets into the city, and he starts to teach to a big group of people. And one of the main things he said is, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk in the light while ye still have it. Believe in the light that you be children of the light. He kept talking about light to them. And some people understood and some people didn't. Well, he's talking to this huge group of people. Way up in one of the churches is one of the leaders. The leaders of the city and the leaders of the church looked at him and they thought, this is not good. Everybody is listening to Jesus. Nobody's going to listen to us. And they started to think about that, and they thought, we have to get rid of him. And so Jesus left the city, and he went away, and the leaders were scheming. That means making plans. How are we going to get rid of them, him? And then they had an idea, and one of the leaders said to the soldiers, Go arrest him. So the soldiers went to where Jesus was with his disciples, and they arrested him, and they brought him back to the city, and they tried to figure out how to get rid of him, and it wasn't very long that they figured out a way, and they wrapped his body up in a cloth. This is for real. They took it to a cave. They put it in a cave. And they covered the door of the cave with a big rock. Then they went back to the city. And they said, we got rid of all that talking about God is within you. God is light. Heaven is within you. We got rid of that. That's done. And Jesus' disciples, they were very afraid. They thought maybe they would be next. 
And they thought Jesus was going to like, he was going to bring light to the whole world. He was going to teach all the people. The world was going to be a better place. But instead, it was gone. They all hid. His disciples hid in a room. And they were very worried. They were very shaken. And then one morning, one of the disciples named Mary Magdalene, she went out early in the morning and she went to the place where Jesus was buried. She wanted to pray and be near him. She went there and the rock, the big rock that it took a bunch of soldiers to cover the the hole where Jesus was in the cave was moved. She went up and she looked in. Nothing was there. He wasn't there. And she quick, she ran back to where the disciples were hiding. Remember, they were hiding in a room, very scared. She went into that room and she said, they've taken him. He's gone. His body is gone. And he says, no. And two of the men ran with her all the way back to the cave. This sounds scary, but it's going to have a happy ending. (laughs) They went back to the cave and the men ran and they went inside the cave and they, they looked all around and he wasn't there. And then they left. And they went back to their place where all the other people were, except Mary, the lady. She stayed there, and she was crying. She was crying, and she was looking in the cave and crying and praying. And then all of a sudden, she saw a light in the cave, some lights. They didn't have lights in caves. And she looked in, and she saw two angels. And the angels were standing there, and they said, Woman, why are you crying? And she said, But, but. Because they've taken away Jesus, and I don't know where they've put him. And then all of a sudden, she felt there was someone behind her. She turned around, and there was a man standing behind her. And she thought he was the gardener or caretaker or something. And she said, she looked at him, and he said, What are you doing? Who are you looking for? And she said, Well, they've taken away his body. If you know where they put it, tell me so I can get it and take it away. And he looked at her again, and he said, Mary. And it was Jesus. And she recognized him. She said, Master. And she started to come towards him to to hug him or touch his feet. And he said, don't touch me yet. I have not ascended unto my father yet. That means I haven't gone back to heaven yet. And he said, go to the others where they're hiding and tell them, that I'm going to go back to my father, to my heavenly father. He was going to go back to heaven. And so she went back and she told them this. And that night, when they were all quiet and alone, (laughs) so they were... They were alone, remember? The door was closed. All of a sudden, Jesus appeared right in the middle of all of them. He was alive. And they were all frightened, and they didn't know what to think. And he said, first thing he said is, peace be unto you. He told them to be peaceful. And then he said to them, as my father sent me, so I send all of you. And then what he did, they say, He breathed the light of God into each one of them. And it was a light that he proved could never, never, never go out. And that's the story of how Easter started.
So happy Easter, everyone. Thank you for coming together in divine friendship and fellowship on this beautiful day, beautiful holiday, not such a beautiful day. So our topic this week from Rays of the One Light is our Easter reading, Resurrection for Every Soul. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. In the Gospel of St. John, chapter 20, we read the inspiring account of Jesus' resurrection. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulchre, and seeth the stone taken taken away from the sepulchre. Then she runneth, and cometh to Simon Peter, and to the other disciple, who Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus, and stood in their midst, and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. The resurrection of Jesus, doubted by many, but affirmed by those who were close to him, was a miraculous event, though one not unique in history. For many great saints of other religions have appeared to their disciples after death. Sometimes their appearances have been as that of Jesus was, in flesh and blood form, and not only in vision. Paramahansa Yogananda relates in Autobiography of a Yogi the account of his guru, Sri Akteshwar's resurrection after his earthly passing. Miracles of this type are revealed only rarely to the masses, but accounts of them related by men and women of reputed truthfulness have inspired many devotees with faith in the reality of subtler than material states of existence. Resurrection, Yogananda explained, means transformation, ultimately, from any lower state of consciousness to a higher one. Worldly consciousness cannot imagine such transformation except in terms of, perhaps, an improvement of the present massive pottage with the addition of a new flavoring. Divine consciousness, however, is capable of taking the base metal of worldliness and transforming it into the spiritual gold of divine wisdom and love. In keeping with this truth, the Bhagavad Gita in the ninth chapter tells us, Ah, ye who come into this ill world, fleeting and false, Set your faith fast on me. Fix heart and thought on me. Adore me. Bring offerings to me. Make me prostrations. Make me your supremest joy. And undivided unto my rest, your spirits shall be guided. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind.
Easter. You have to pardon our voices. When we got back from India a couple of weeks ago, we were invaded by either viruses or bacteria. We're winning the battle, but slowly. I want to begin with this beautiful whisper from eternity. These are prayer demands by Paramahansa Yogananda. This is demand that through all tests and trials, the love of God may never fade. O Spirit, I care not if all sufferings come to me or all things be taken away from me. I pray only that my love for thee never fade through my own negligence. May my love for thee burn brightly forever on the altar of my constant remembrance. Tim told us in abbreviated form the what of Easter, and most of us know the story, but I would like to talk this morning about the spiritual reasons why Easter took place and why it needed to take place and what it means to us spiritually. We have to understand that when a great master comes into the world, as Jesus did, when a great master comes in with a world mission, that it is a very, very important time and that it is meant for the upliftment of society as a whole. But we also need to understand that these great masters have a smaller group of people around them, the disciples. And the primary work that Jesus did was with the disciples and giving them the message because they were open to receiving the message. And further, we have to understand that what happens outwardly is really a symbol for a spiritual evolution that happens within. So we think of Jesus coming for the upliftment of society, and certainly that was part of what his mission was, because he came with a new message that was applicable to all of society. But more importantly for us, Master said that we need to understand that our mental citizens are like society as a whole. And so the message that a great master brings is a message, it seems to be, for an, alt- an outward culture, an outward group of people. But what it really is, is a message for our own metal- mental citizens. And so Jesus seemed to come in order to make a transformation, an upliftment, to society as a whole, and he certainly did. But more importantly, he showed us the way for us to transform our own mental citizens and uplift them. But there's an actual progression to this. There's, one could call it a three-step stage, a three-step process to becoming free, to becoming one with God. The first was represented before Jesus came, by Moses, when you have a completely unruly population, but a population that wants somehow to be better, then you have to come and you have to apply rules. You have to show those people how to behave. 
And so Moses came and he produced the Ten Commandments. All of this is done by the will of God. All of it has to do with the change of the ages of the great cycle of time of the yugas. But Moses came about 12 or 1300 years before Christ and he brought the Ten Commandments, but not just the Ten Commandments, he brought another 600 rules that are given in the Bible about how to, how to behave. And so that was absolutely necessary. But don't think of it only as, oh, all those unruly people in, in uh, Egypt and Palestine and eventually what would become Israel, all those tribes, they needed to be brought under discipline. It's our own mental citizens that are unruly and our own tribes that are wandering in the desert. And so in order to begin the process of spiritual evolution, first of all, we need discipline. And discipline comes by rules that we have to follow. Now, outwardly, if the rules are only outwardly, let's face it, it doesn't work very well. I mean, first of all, Moses couldn't even get the people who he brought the tablets to, to accept them. So he threw them down and broke them, had to redo them into a second set of tablets. And uh, the people were so unruly, he said, you aren't ready to enter the promised land. We're going to wander in the desert for 40 years to get ready because this generation has to pass. But not a whole lot. I mean, let's face it, the Ten Commandments, are they followed any better today than they were 3,000 years ago in Moses' time? I doubt it. And so outward rules don't change us, really. Because if the energy of our consciousness is flowing downward, that energy itself produces ignorance. And as long as we're acting in ignorance, if somebody gives us a rule, our first thought about that rule is how can I get around it? And so... Moses' Ten Commandments and 600 rules have progressed into libraries of rules and laws and regulations and bureaucracy. And has that alone uplifted mankind? No, it hasn't. But nonetheless, it has helped. It's helped to order society a little bit. But don't think of it only outwardly because much more important is the inner process going on. And so our own mental citizens, we first need outer discipline, somebody to tell us what to do. But if it's only outwardly, it won't do very much good. Now we have to internalize that discipline, but it's not an easy process to do. So the, Moses brought the law, but Jesus comes and he brings love. Now, what does that represent? Love represents, love is an aspect of the heart chakra. And that's the pivotal point in our body. I'm going to talk a little bit yogically later on, but the pivotal point in our body in terms of whether energy goes up or goes down is the heart chakra. 
It's the energy of likes and dislikes, of emotions. As long as those, the energy from the heart is descending, we're going to act in ignorance. <coughs> because the descending energy is ignorant in and of itself. And as long as that energy descends, then our thoughts are going to be riddled with misbehavior, ignorance, sin, whatever you want to call it. And that's what produces the unruliness of the society or the unruliness of our mental citizens. And laws alone can't change the direction of that energy, even though they can kind of corral it a little bit so it doesn't do too much damage. But what does Jesus do? Jesus comes and he says, you know, all those commandments, all those laws, let's boil them down. There are only two. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, with all thy soul, and with all thy strength. And the second commandment is like unto it. Love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two hang all the law and the prophets. And so all of the laws now are beginning to be fulfilled because in the heart chakra, when you love God and you express that love to others, what that does is that turns the energy from going down to going only up. And so what Jesus brought is not <clears throat> a new religion, really. Of course, he brought a new teaching that became a religion, but he brought a change of consciousness, which is now the thing to concentrate on is the concentration of love, love of God, love of others, and that automatically, when you do that, that directs the energy of the pivotal heart center. It directs it up toward our higher self, up toward God. But what happens when you've had an unruly population and you've had, or an unruly mental population? Well, that unruly population has made mistakes. It's created ignorance. It's created a lot of karma. And so when you first start this process of turning the energy upward, what happens is that you begin a purification process. And this purification process is absolutely essential. It's essential for society and it's essential for our own consciousness. And so what Jesus brought was First of all, the pivotal change of energy upward. But secondly, he brought a purification process. Now that's the story of each Easter. That's why Easter happened. Now Jesus, when he came in, was an avatar. He was already liberated. He didn't have to have any of the being arrested, being crucified, being put in the cave and having the stone rolled up. None of that did he need. But he needed to show that the redirection of energy upward from rules, if the energy is still going downward, what happened? The rules were still there, but the people 
because the energy was going down. Those people who were in charge of enforcing the rules, they used them for their own welfare. So the Sanhedrin and the uh, religious body of the Jews, as Tim was saying, we've got to get rid of this guy. If he says all of our rules, all of our laws, all of the intricate details of how you are able to uh, act properly in this world, if all of that gets boiled down to love God and love your neighbor, where's our job? Where's our income? Where's our power? It's gone. We've got to get rid of him. And so downward energy, downward flowing energy that tries to hold power for the ego will be inimical to upward flowing energy and love and light, especially as it begins to be turned inward, as Tim said. And so that, that worldly power then tries to suppress this change of consciousness. And it seems like they succeed. Seems like they're able to arrest him, try him, even though they have to go through a little bit of turmoil with the, getting the Romans to go along. They're able to get him crucified, killed, and thrown into the cave, and a big stone rolled up. Now, if that had been the end of the story, I don't know whether we would have Christianity or not. I mean, the change of consciousness would begin to happen, but would it be Christianity? You know, if the disciples after Christ began to go out and their story was he did some miracles, but they arrested him and killed him. It, I don't know, that doesn't have a whole lot of zoom to it. <laughs> but there were two things that happened in the story of Easter. One was Jesus said at that time, I could fight power with power. I could draw down a legion of angels if I wanted to, and they could free me. They could do whatever I asked them to do, but I'm not going to fight power with power. I'm going to fight downward external power with the power of love, pure love. And Master said that the greatest statement the greatest statement that Jesus said was when he was on the cross and in that extreme position where, remember, he could have drawn down legions of angels. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Now that's the power of pure love. And so it's that energy of love, that energy of turning the consciousness upward to God and outward through love to mankind that spiritually Jesus came to represent. But as I say, when that happens, then there's a purification process that goes on. The disciples, they clung to Jesus out of their love for him. Now their story wasn't much better than Jesus's. Every one of them was martyred. You know, they had their heads cut off, they got roasted, they got filled with arrows. I mean, 
you know, this was a purification process that went on. They were doing it for the sake of all mankind to establish into this world this new understanding of how to relate to God through love and through an uplifted consciousness. And, but for us also, when we begin to seek God in that way, then we're going to go through a purification process. And without that, we will not overcome the past karma that was done through ignorance, done through not having the consciousness of loving God and loving other people. Now, if we did that, the world doesn't need anything more than that. If we can do it individually, we don't need anything more than that. That in and of itself is the whole of the answer. But we haven't done it. The world hasn't done it. And so purification is needed. And so now, as Swami says in the, in the festival, in the past, the coin of man's redemption was pain and suffering. And so, by and large, the great Christian saints have gone through a lot of pain and suffering because it's a purification process. And by becoming completely pure in their consciousness, they become united with the Christ consciousness. But there's a, a further step. So there's three steps to this process. The first step, as I say, is discipline, outward discipline through laws, but more importantly, inward discipline for us as yogis. That means to do our sadhanas. But it, I want to talk a little bit now for those of you who have studied a little bit of yoga. The first, the regulation of behavior is done in the lower three chakras. The lower three chakras, Master said, represents yama, niyama, and self-control. Yama means to be able to control the negative energy that we might otherwise express. Niyama means the ability to follow the good rules. Both of those are self-discipline. And finally, Self-control is of the third chakra and that represents the ability to be able to control our energies without that control, without somehow working with the first three chakras. We aren't ready then yet to come to the, third, the fourth chakra, the anahat chakra, the energy of the heart, because if we don't control those lower three chakras, they will magnetically draw the energy downward and therefore into ignorance. So we have to have Moses or we have to have the regulations before we're ready to work with the heart chakra. Then when we can direct the heart chakra's energies upward, our consciousness automatically becomes aligned. Then we don't need the law anymore. Too many rules kill the spirit, Master said. When the energy is upwardly directed, you automatically, without any coercion, begin to behave according to God's will. And that's pure love and pure joy. So self-discipline first, 
then the upward turning of the energy from the heart chakra, and what does that lead to? As Swami put it in the festival, but now our redemption comes from calm acceptance and joy. Calmness represents the throat chakra, and joy represents the spiritual eye, the kutasta. And so it, all of this works completely spiritually, inwardly, as well as outwardly. And so Jesus came to turn society into one where the energy of the heart was directed upwardly. But now the time has come because of the changes of ages where Jesus said to Babaji, please send someone with techniques so we can take that upward energy and we can make it permanent. And so through the line of our masters, the energy has come from Jesus. That's why he's on the altar asking this energy now come to techniques of the control of energy. Because the heart, as I said, is pivotal. If we don't have something that allows us to take control over the energy flow, the direction of it, it will be drawn downward by past habit. And so purification helps cleanse that, the upward direction. But now we have the techniques that brings calmness and joy. So when that energy now is withdrawn and uplifted, not just through love, not just through devotion, but also with the techniques of energy control, then it can come from the heart up to the spiritual eye where joy resides. And we can, if we are both purified and upwardly directed, we can bring our energy to this point and we can hold it at that point. And here comes enlightenment, pure love, pure joy, and union with God. And so what we're trying to do with this long cycle and this long progression is we're trying to bring society to a place where everyone is unified with God. But more importantly for us, we're trying to bring the society of our own mental citizens to where they're all unified with God. And so we don't need too many rules, just a very few. Too many rules kill the spirit. Then if you have a society where people love God and love each other, you don't need those rules to control their behavior. And if you add on to that the techniques of energy control and especially Kriya Yoga that draws the energy upward and holds it up in a higher energy state, then the consciousness eventually is purified, rid of ignorance, rid of tendencies to go downward until we achieve enlightenment. Now, if we had a society like that, it would be a beautiful society. 
a society where you didn't need rules. Everybody loved God and loved each other and everybody lived in joy and happiness. Sounds kind of like Ananda to me. God bless you all.